Chapter One of the Ethics of Belief. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shana. The Ethics of Belief by William Kingdom Clifford. Chapter One. A ship owner was about to send to sea an emigrant ship. He knew that she was old and not over well built. At the first, she had seen many seas and climes, and often had needed repairs. Doubts had been suggested to him that possibly she was not seaworthy. These doubts preyed upon his mind and made him unhappy. He thought perhaps he ought to have her thoroughly overhauled and refitted, even though this should put him at great expense. Before the ship sailed, however, he succeeded in overcoming these melancholy reflections. He said to himself that she had gone safely through so many voyages and had weathered so many storms that it was idle to suppose she would not come home safely from this trip also. He would put his trust in Providence, which could hardly fail to protect all these unhappy families that were leaving their fatherland to seek better times elsewhere. He would dismiss from his mind all ingenuous suspicions about the honesty of builders and contractors. In such ways he acquired a sincere and comfortable conviction that his vessel was thoroughly safe and seaworthy. He watched her depart with a light heart and benevolent wishes for the success of the exiles in their strange new home that was to be, and he got his insurance money when she went down in mid-ocean and told no tales. What shall we say of him? Surely this, that he was very guilty of the death of those men. It is admitted that he did sincerely believe in the soundness of his ship, but the sincerity of his conviction can in no wise help him, because he had no right to believe on such evidence as was before him. He had acquired his belief by honestly earning it in patient investigation, but by stifling his doubts. And although in the end he may have felt so sure about it that he could not think otherwise, yet as much he had knowingly and willingly worked himself into that frame of mind, and he must be held responsible for it. Let us alter the case a little, and suppose that the ship was not unsound after all, that she had made her voyage safely, and many others after it. Will that diminish the guilt of her owner? Not one jot. When an action is once done, whether it's right or wrong, it's forever. No accidental failure of its good or evil fruits can possibly alter that. The man would have not been innocent. He would have only not been found out. The question of right or wrong has to do with the origin of his belief. Not the matter of it, not what it was, but how he got it. Not whether it turned out to be true or false, but whether he had a right to believe on such evidence as was before him. There was once an island in which some of the inhabitants professed a religion teaching neither the doctrine of original sin nor that of eternal punishment. A suspicion got abroad that the professors of this religion had made unfair use of means to get their doctrines taught to children. They were accused of wrestling the laws of their country in such a way as to remove children from the care of their natural and legal guardians, and even stealing them away and keeping them concealed from their friends and relations. A certain number of men formed themselves into a society for the purpose of agitating the public about this matter. They published grave accusations against individual citizens of the highest position and character and did all in their power to injure these citizens in their exercise of their professions. 
So great was the noise they made that a commission was appointed to investigate the facts. But after the commission had carefully inquired into all the evidence that could be got, it appeared that the accused were innocent. Not only had they been accused of insufficient evidence, but the evidence of their innocence was such as the agitators might have easily obtained, had they made an attempt to a fair inquiry. After these disclosures, the inhabitants of the country looked upon the members of the agitating society not only as persons whose judgment was to be distrusted, but also no longer to be counted as honorable men. For although they had sincerely and conscientiously believed in the charges they had made, yet they had no right to believe such evidence as was before them. Their sincere convictions, instead of being honestly earned by patient inquiry, were stolen by listening to the voice of prejudice and passion. Let us also vary this case and suppose other things remaining as before, that a more still accurate investigation proved the accused to have been really guilty. Would this have made any difference in the guilt of the accusers? Clearly not. The question is not whether their belief was true or false, but whether they entertained it on wrong grounds. They would no doubt say, Now, you see, we were right after all. Next time, perhaps you will believe us. And they might be believed, but they would not thereby become honorable men. They will not be innocent. They will only not be found out. Every one of them, if he chose to examine himself in thorough conscience, would see that he had acquired and nourished a belief, that he had no right to believe on such evidence as was before him, and therein would know he had done a wrong thing. It may be said, however, that in both these supposed cases it was not the belief which is to be judged wrong, but the action following upon it. The ship owner might say, I am perfectly certain that my ship is sound, but I still feel it my duty to have her examined before trusting the lives of so many people to her. And it might have been said to the agitator, however convinced you were of the justice of your cause and the truth of your convictions, you ought not to have made a public attack upon any man's character until you have examined the evidence on both sides with the utmost patience and care. In the first place, let us admit that, so as far as it goes, this view of the case is right and necessary, right because even when a man's belief is so fixed that he cannot think otherwise, he still has the choice the of action suggested by it, and so cannot escape the duty of investigating on the ground of the strength of his convictions, and necessary because those who are not yet capable of controlling their feelings and thoughts must have a plan rule dealing with overt acts. But this being premised is necessary, it becomes clear that it is not sufficient and that our previous judgment is required to supplement it, for it is not possible to so severe the belief of the action it suggests to condemn the one without condemning the other. No man holding a strong belief on one side of a question, or even wishing to hold a belief on one side, can investigate with such a fairness and completeness as if he were really in doubt and unbiased, so that the existence of a belief not founded on a fair inquiry unfits a man for the performance of this necessary duty.
nor is that truly a belief at all which has not some influence upon the actions of him who holds it he who truly believes that which prompts him to an action has looked upon the action to lust after it he has committed it already in his heart if a belief is not realized immediately in open deeds it is stored up for the guidance of the future it goes to make a part of that aggregate of beliefs which is the link between sensation and action at every moment of our lives and which is so organized and compacted together that no part of it can be isolated from the rest but every new addition modifies the structure of the whole no real belief however stifling and fragmentary may it seem is ever truly insignificant it prepares us to receive more of its like confirms those which resembled it before and weakens others and so gradually it lays stealthily trained in our innermost thoughts which may some day explode into overt action and leave its stamp upon our character forever and no one man's belief is in any case a private matter which concerns himself alone our lives are guided by that general conception of the course of things which has been created by society for social purposes our words our phrases our forms and processes and modes of thought are common property fashioned imperfectly from age to age an heirloom which every succeeding generation inherits as a precious deposit and a sacred trust to be handled on to the next one not unchanged but enlarged and purified with some clear marks of his proper handiwork into this for good or ill is woven every belief of every man who has speech of his fellows an awful privilege an awful responsibility we should help to create the world in which we prosperely will live in the two supposed cases which have been considered it has been judged wrong to believe on insufficient evidence or to nourish belief by suppressing doubts and avoiding investigation the reason of this judgment is not far to seek it is in that both cases the belief held by one man was of great importance to other men but forasmuch as no belief held by one man however seemingly trivial the belief and however obscure the believer is ever actually insignificant or without effect on his fate of mankind we have no choice but to extend our judgment to all cases of belief whatever belief that sacred faculty which prompts the decisions of our will and knits into harmonious working all the compacted energies of our being is ours not for ourselves but for humanity it is rightly used on truths which have been established by long experience and waiting toil and which have stood in the fierce light of free and fearless questioning then it helps bind together and strengthen and direct their common action it is desecrated when given to unproved and unquestioned statements for the solace and private pleasure of the believer to add a tinsel splendor to the plain straight road of our life and display a bright mirage beyond it or even to drown the common sorrows of our kind by a self-deception which allows them not only to cast down but also to degrade us who shall ever deserve well of his fellows in this matter will guard the purity of his beliefs with a very fanatism of jealous care lest at any time it should rest on an unworthy object and catch a stain 
which can never be wiped away. It is not only the leader of man, statesman, philosopher, or poet that owes this bounden duty to mankind. Every rustic who delivers in the village alehouse his slow, infrequent sentences may help kill or keep alive the fatal superstitions which clog his race. Every hard-worked wife of an artisan may transmit her children's beliefs which shall knit society together or rend it in pieces. No simplicity of mind, no obscurity of station can escape the universal duty of questioning all that we believe. It is true that this is a duty that is a hard one, and the doubt which comes out of it is often a bitter thing. It leaves us bare and powerless where we thought we were safe and strong. To know all about anything is to know how to deal with it under all circumstances. We feel much happier and more secure when we know precisely what to do, no matter what happens. Then, when we have lost our way and do not know where to turn, and if we have supposed ourselves to know all about anything and to be capable of doing what is fit in regard to it, we naturally do not like to find that we are ignorant and powerless, that we have to begin again at the beginning and try to learn what the thing is and how it is to be dealt with if indeed it can be learnt about it is the sense of power attached to the sense of acknowledge that makes men desirous of believing and afraid of doubting the sense of power is the highest and best pleasure when the belief on which it is founded is a true belief and has been earned fairly by investigation for then we may justly feel it is common property and hold good for others as well as for ourselves. Then we may be glad not that I have learned secrets for which by I am safer and stronger, but that we men have got mastery over more of the world, and we shall be strong, not for ourselves in the name of man and his strength, but if the belief has been accepted on insufficient evidence, the pleasure is a stolen one not only does it deceive ourselves by giving us a sense of power which we do not really possess but it is sinful because it is stolen in defiance of our duty to mankind that duty is to guard ourselves from such beliefs as pestilence which may surely master our own body then spread to the rest of the town what would be thought of one who for the sake of sweet fruit should deliberately run the risk of delivering a plague upon his family and neighbors and as in other cases it is not only the risk which has to be considered for a bad action is always bad at the time when it is done no matter what happens afterward every time we let ourselves believe for unworthy reasons we weaken our powers of self-control of doubting of judicially and fairly weighing evidence we all suffer severely enough from the maintenance and support of false beliefs and the fatally wrong actions which they lead to, and the evil born when one such belief is entertained great and wide. But a greater and wider evil arises when a credulous character is maintained and supported. A right. habit of believing unworthy reasons and is fostered and made permanent. If I steal money from any person, there may be no harm done from the mere transfer of possession. He may not feel the loss, or it may prevent him from using the money badly, but I cannot help doing this great thing towards a man that I make myself dishonest. What hurts society is not that for which it should lose its property, but that it should become dead of thieves 
for then it must cease to be society. This is why we not ought to do evil. The good may come, for at any rate this great evil has come, and we have done evil and are made wicked thereby. In like manner, if I let myself believe on anything in sufficient evidence, there may be no great harm done by the mere belief. It may be true after all, or I may never have occasion to exhibit in an outward act. But I cannot help doing this great wrong towards man that I make myself credulous. The danger to society is not merely that it should believe wrong things, though that is great enough, but that it should become credulous and lose the habit of testing things and inquiring into them, for then it must sink back into savagery. The harm which is done by credulity a man is not confined to the fostering of credulous character in others and consequent support of false beliefs. Habitual want of care about what I believe leads to habitual want of care in others about the truth of what is told to me. Men speak the truth of one another when each reveres the truth in his own mind and in the other's mind. But how shall my friend revere the truth in my mind when I myself am careless about it? When I believe things because I want to believe them and because they are comforting and pleasant. Will he not learn to cry peace to me when there is no peace? By such course I shall surround myself with a thick atmosphere of falsehood and fraud and in that I must live. It may matter little to me and my cloud castle sweet illusions and darling lies, but it matters much to man and I have made my neighbors ready to deceive. The credulous man is father to the liar and the cheat. He lives in the bosom of his family, and it is no marvel if he should become even as they are. So closely are our duties knit together that whoso shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. To sum up, it is wrong always everywhere and for anyone to believe anything upon insufficient evidence. If a man, holding a belief which he was taught in childhood or persuaded of afterwards, keeps down and pushes away any doubts which arouse about it in his mind, purposely avoids the reading of books and the company of men that call into question or discuss it and regards as impious those questions which cannot be easily asked without disturbing it. The life of that man is one long sin against mankind. If this judgment seems harsh when applied to those simple souls who have never known better, who have been brought up from the cradle with a horror of doubt and taught that their eternal welfare depends on what they believe, then at least a very serious question, who have made Israel to sin? It may be permitted to me to fortify this judgment with the sentence of Milton. A man may be heretic in the truth, and if he believes things that only his pastor says so, or the assembly so determined without knowing other reason, though his belief be true, yet the very truth he holds becomes his heresy. And with this famous aphorism of Coleridge, he who begins by loving Christianity better than truth will proceed by loving his own sect or church better than Christianity and in loving himself better than all. 
Inquiry into the evidence of a doctrine is not to be made once for all and then be taken as finally settled. It is never lawful to stifle a doubt, for either it can be honestly answered by means of the inquiry already made, or else it proves the inquiry was not complete. But, says one, I am a busy man. I have no time for the long course of study which will be necessary to make me, in any degree, a competent judge of certain questions or even to understand the nature of the arguments, then he shall have no time to believe. End of chapter.